And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So who likes going to the dentist? Not me. Pretty much not anyone. I don't think if you, I think if you asked a thousand people on the street, do you like going to the dentist? One out of a thousand would say yes. And I have so many questions for that one person, but that's not who's on the show today. Or maybe it is. I don't know. We're going to talk all about dental insurance and that industry and how today's guest is disrupting that. Before we get into that, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Trinet, the fastest way to HR expertise, most of us know and understand that small to medium-sized businesses face unique HR challenges, and that's why Trinet is a full-service HR provider that offers 24-7 support. They can help you handle your toughest HR questions, so you're free to focus on your people and growing your business. Go to Trinet.com to learn more. There's a link in the show notes, and I think that right after dentistry, messing with the HR at your startup is probably the next least popular thing. So Trinet knows what they're doing. Check them out. With me today, I've got Alex Frommeyer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Beam. Go to beam.dental. Also a link in the show notes. This is the same dental insurance we use at full scale. And I'm happy with it and excited about it because the last provider we had, which I won't name, and there's no link in the show notes for them. So lesson learned wasn't very good. So I'm looking forward to actually having dental insurance that works. Alex, welcome to Startup Hustle. Matt, thanks for having me. And I appreciate uh, you being a customer. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I like to say that, you know, you, you guys are the fastest growing provider of dental benefits in the country. So there's going to be a story to that. And I like to I usually remind everyone that no one tells the company's story better than the founder. So Alex, what is the backstory of Beam? What brought us to this point today? Yeah, so uh, Beam Dental was founded back in 2012. So we're eight, nine years old now as a company. Um, and from that time, we scaled with just my two co-founders and I starting in my living room in Louisville, Kentucky, to now 260 plus Beamers uh, based in Columbus, Ohio. And then we have Beamers that are kind of distributed throughout the US. Uh, but Beam has this, I think, wonderful, very typical founder journey. I've, I've seen it drawn a lot where uh, the joke is, you think startup success is this line that goes from the bottom left to the top right, and it's a very straight line. And then of course, reality is this very squiggly line with fires and interruptions to the line and um, you know man, you know dragons and all kinds of stuff in your way and beam has a story just like that I think um, you know we have gone through some amazing twists and turns as a business in fact the entire company when we started it wasn't a dental insurance company um, it started as what we thought would be a a vendor to dental insurance companies focused on innovation around consumer experience, uh, mobile first dentistry, and uh, differentiated underwriting data. 
but we imagined you know selling products to delta dental and some of the other major dental insurance carriers in the market and then we realized over time that the real opportunity if we really wanted to innovate if we really wanted to make an impact on the end customer we were going to need to do it by actually going down start kind of stripping the thing down to the studs and rebuilding a dental insurance company from the ground up digital first and so today uh beam has morphed and uh pivoted and uh you know kind of kicking and screaming pulled ourselves into what we are today which in 41 states around the u.s the first and only digitally native dental insurance company Okay, and I have I have several questions about that. Now, first off, anybody that wants to know the real truth, that linear path from beginning to success looks more like a yo-yo being towed around by the Tasmanian devil who's riding a roller coaster on an airplane that crashed and then took a rocket to the moon. I think that's the path that people learned that is really out there with startup founders. Now, you know, when you talk about like digitally native and all that, like what, what does that even mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So um, insurance, not just dental insurance, but dental insurance is a great example of this. Most insurance today still operates on a fundamentally non-digital platform, meaning that the big legacy insurance companies have all of this data that's siloed from their other data. So they're having trouble even putting all of their data together. And there's not a unified customer journey. And to the extent that there is, it's being stitched together with paper, email, fax machines, and hand-to-hand combat, right? People picking up the phone and talking about things. So even something as simple as experiences that we now expect to be really slick and easy, like one-click Amazon purchasing, for example, you remember this was not always true, not only just of Amazon, but not of anyone in the market. And that we have not achieved that in insurance uh, until recently. In fact, nobody was even really trying that hard uh, in insurance until recently. So what Beam's built is let's get rid of the fax machines. Let's get rid of the, you know, got to pick up the phone to accomplish something simple like enrolling a new member. You know, so when your employee adds uh, another uh, person to the team, you need to set them up on benefits. Uh, Trinet, a sponsor to the show, is helping coordinate that very thing on behalf of the uh, companies that sit inside their PEO, that level of service is still done with a heavy degree of fill out this paperwork, fax it into some service person sitting on the other side of a transaction. And then two weeks later, hopefully you're set up with dental insurance, but we frankly will never hear back. So hopefully it happened. And then when you go schedule an appointment with the dentist, you hope to God they're in network. And then you hope to God that um, the paperwork went through and, and they can confirm that you have coverage. That, that's a terrible user experience. And so what Beam has done is a unified, we've built a unified chassis for the entire customer journey, starting with quoting, enrollments, implementations, billing and invoicing, paying the claims, managing the money, and providing all of the you know ads, terms, and account management components that the customer's looking for. And then for good measure, we slapped a consumer dental goods uh, product experience into this as well. We administer the industry's only dental wellness program where we give connected electric toothbrushes to all of our members. That serves as a day-to-day reminder and engagement system for the big picture, which for us is modernizing dental coverage based on how people are actually engaging with their dental health, not what we think they are in kind of a, gen- a generic gen pop style pricing format. 
So, you know, we've gone through this journey of having conversations with startup founders and entrepreneurs for three and a half years. And, and it just never fails to just blow my mind that mega industries like mega, I mean, the insurance is a mega industry, right? And how trillions of how, dollars, how, right. And how technically inept so many of these industries are, you know, like, I mean, five years ago, gigabook.com had a sophisticated onboarding program that made it easy to get in, sign up and take online bookings and payments from your clients and, and, and students and whomever. And it blows my mind to believe that somehow we were, we were early compared to a, a trillion dollar a year industry. But, you know, and if you're interested in learning about the importance of onboarding, check out, I think it's part 14 or 15. I don't know, it's got onboarding in the title, but Matt Watson, my business partner at Fullscale and I, and, and someone who's had two huge software exits before 40, we did a whole episode that we're doing a 52 part series about how to start a tech company. And we feel so adamantly about onboarding that we literally like did a whole entire episode just on it. And I kind of wish we had done a second one because I'm just a nut about it. And it, it just kind of blows my mind that, that, you know, we run into this kind of stuff. All right. So by having efficient, effective onboarding, you made, you probably made it faster to sign people up and faster to serve them to other places and stuff. How difficult was it to build that? Oh, it's, a, it's actually incredibly difficult infrastructure. And it's really all, it's also difficult to communicate that value to various stakeholders in the chain. They, they know they're experiencing something different when they're working with Beam than the other options in the market. Uh, but it can actually be kind of tricky to articulate it. I've struggled with this for years, actually, and which exists to this day. We've raised around uh, 160 or 70 million in aggregate venture capital across multiple institutional rounds. We just finished an $80 million raise earlier this year. And walking in the room, which this of course wasn't literally true raising during the pandemic, but usually walking in the room of a, of a VC, you know, the pitch that you're putting up on the screen is often a literal demo or shots from a demo, or you can walk through the entire customer experience. In insurance, so much of the action is taking place behind the scenes. It's about what isn't showing up in the UI as much as it is what is, uh, that it can actually be difficult to communicate. Well, if you had you know coverage with another dental carrier, you would have had to do this and then fax it over here and then have this person pick it up and do that. And then you'd have to wait a week and you'd never get the feedback loop completed for you. And that's always been a struggle with me for fundraising because without that context of status quo, uh, Beam's lack of uh, you know that, that button that you didn't need to click um, can often fall by the wayside. So then we rotate heavy to, well, just let our customers tell you, like go do references because our customers will rave about the experience that they get, especially if they've experienced something else in the industry previously. You know, that's an interesting point. You mentioned the button you didn't need to click. We, Matt and I talked about that so much. And so we built on Gigabook, we built this thing called Smart Start, which was about eliminating options and also making assumptions. Like, for example, we have trained ourselves as, uh, as people to enter zip code last. If I get your zip code first, I can fill out like five or six other fields, or I can make a lot of assumptions. I know where you're at. I know your time zone. I know your currency. I know your state. I know your city, like a whole lot of stuff. And it just still kills me that like so many things that get built, don't look at stuff. Uh, we've had discussions with other 
uh, insurance companies, like one of them was on our Denver top startups list. It's a glove box app and it's a, like a white label uh, mobile app for insurance. You're nodding your head. I know those of you listening can't, can't, he told me I can call him fro, but by the way, he's got a shaved head. So that's a different, maybe a different episode, but have you, have you heard, are you familiar with them? I know the glove box. Yeah, they're really cool. Okay. So yeah, so Ryan was on the show and he was, uh, they were uh, involved in a startup accelerator here in Kansas city. Then launch KC, go to launchkc.org to learn more. They take applications and companies from all over, but yeah, it just, you know, it's amazing what they've built making it simple app and the, the, that connected to so many different things. Now, the problem that they were solving had a lot to do with fragmentation, meaning like there's like, I think you said like 30 or 40,000 offices around it. Do you, is dent, does dental have the same issue? It, I mean, what is that, is that the case or was it like trying to get three other megacorps to give you data or info? Yeah. You know, so den- dentistry is a highly fragmented industry, which is starting to change, uh, which is helping right. more innovation come into the market. Uh, but there's 150,000 dentists in the U.S. Oh, wow. And most of them own one practice. Yeah, I was right? going to so, say, yeah, because I'm sitting there trying to think. I'm like, where does it de- like? what's a dental chain? Like, I, You hear the, the insurance providers, but not necessarily the service providers. Right. The, the chains are starting, you know, they do exist and they're starting to get bigger and more prominent in markets, but there's definitely no iconic brand. You know, there's no McDonald's that, you know, everybody recognizes by, by name and sight. And, you know, I think dentistry has really, that's held back innovation because it's up to each dentist, you know, the tens of thousands of individual dentists who are decision makers for their small business, their small business owners, right? Um, they're individual decision makers for if they want to adopt a new piece of software or a new methodology, a new piece of equipment to modernize their practice. And they can either do that stuff or not um, of their own volition. And that has that means that there's a wide variance on um, dentists that are really playing at the edge of the curve. Um, what's now possible? What's the emerging you know best practices in the industry? What's the uh, you know, new new piece of tech that I can get uh, before anybody else. And then there's a whole set of laggards. There's a long tail of, you know, this is how I've always done it and I've, you know, successfully practiced for 35 years. And there's frankly a ton of industries that have exactly this same sort of attitude. And, you know, I love I love industries that have that uh, component to them because it suggests that once you can build product market fit, you can really flourish as a business because of how hard it is to find the product market fit since there's such a wide variance of experiences across that value chain. So we're only 14 minutes into this. And I think there's been some key lessons here already that those listening can learn from is, you know, we, we, I, all the hosts on this show have spent a lot of time saying, if you can figure out how to fix something that annoys people, you'll, you're on to something. And it sounds like the, the process of signing up for dentistry was, was boring. Now for me, the thing, all right, so I got my mail earlier today and I got to write a freaking check for $7 for like a copay, which I find to be really annoying. Like the value of my time that it's going to take to fill that $7 check is worth more than $7. Have you, what are, are you doing anything is, does Beam do anything on the user? So like, I get it. We get into that. We get into it. We sign up, 
but what was the what's the problem or how do you solve issues for people for your users like how are you doing stuff to make it easier for me as like i haven't used the insurance yet but i need to because i cracked the tooth sorry to hear sorry to let you know that you're probably gonna have to pay for that bro but um but with that you know like you know like is is that as big of a problem as it is just getting people into the system? Because I, I have a feeling that's as inefficient as the sign-up, if not more. Yeah. By the way, I don't think I've ever found out about a claim that I haven't yet received until now. It's actually really yeah. cool. Yeah. I'm letting you know. I'm letting you know. It was, <laughs> it was it was a big tooth too. Yeah. By the way, if you guys want, if if those of you listening want to watch me complain about that, go check out episode zero of Startup Hustle TV on YouTube. But I literally put off going and then I like cracked a tooth over Christmas break and I had no oh, shot man. of getting to a dentist for like five days. It's painful. Yeah, That's tough. Right. That's so, tough. So, so what prob what problems are you solving and how are you solving them for the actual, for the, the what do you call it? The insuree? What am I? Uh, am I, I think client? of you as a member. A member. a member. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great question. The way we think about it is if, if you think about dental health, there's really two components to it. There's small healthful actions you're taking every day that add up to great long-term dental health. And then there are shorter term needs for services to be rendered. And you have exactly one of these situations right now with your cracked tooth. The small healthful action every day is guess what? Brushing and flossing. It's basic preventative dentistry. So if you want to get a great view on someone's likelihood to have all of their, you know, original teeth well into their, you know, kind of latter years, you know, teeth that last 70, 80, 90, 100 years, the best way, the best indicator of that is are you engaged with daily dental hygiene? Are you brushing and flossing consistently? And then there's some genetics, of course, at play as well. But that behavior is a great indicator of long-term dental health. And then there are short-term needs. I need to interact with a dentist. I need to schedule an appointment. I need to find a dentist in the network. I need to uh, get, get that service rendered. And then I need it paid for in a way that I can actually like understand what's going to happen, when, and why. And so Beam's member experience is built off of both of these realities, the short-term uh, which is more sporadic or episodic, and then that long-term. The long-term is the really fun part of our business. It's our dental wellness program. We give everybody uh, a connected electric toothbrush at the beginning. We want to give everybody all the tools they need for great long-term dental health. And then we encourage you to use them by giving you rewards. We believe that every member should actually get credit for taking care of their teeth. Uh, usually your dentist just says, good job, right? Or your mom complains uh, when you're a kid that you're not brushing your teeth and, and nags you until you do it. And, and that's not really a reward, right? That's negative reinforcement at least. But, you know, the positive reinforcement version of this is what if we gave, you know, drop the little money in your piggy bank every day uh, toward both digital rewards and physical ones that as you're taking care of your teeth, you're making progress toward those rewards. And maybe one day you get some Uber credits that you can redeem or a gift card. No different than how you think about an airline miles program where your loyalty turns into enough miles to book a free flight or a credit card rewards program where you get some cash back every time you swipe. We think dental care should look exactly the same way and it should be gamified and kind of fun, right? It's not a particularly difficult game to play. All you gotta do is brush your teeth, but it should be gamified in that you're getting rewarded for and you're making progress against that long-term goal. 
So that's a big piece of the experience and it happens every day, multiple times a day. So that's a really fun piece of the business. The more- Let, let, me, let me clarify yeah. something for listeners real quick. Go to beam.dental because what Alex is talking about is they're basically an IOT company too, an internet of things. They have an actual- electric toothbrush that syncs up with software. I don't know if it's an app or if it's just web-based, but that's what he's talking about tracking. And now, now folks, that's something different. That, that is definitely a different innovation. And that is, and that's what, that's what we're talking about. Like I said, that might've been obvious to some others, maybe not so much, but okay. So now, now your company though, now you're also, you are an IOT company. In that yes, regard. we're, you we're essentially an IoT this, business. Create these and brushes an and track it and all of that. Man, I'll tell you what, if I could have earned rewards or points for brushing for all these for 45 years, I would, man, I'd, I'd be in good be shape. I brush anyway. Maybe, yeah, I wouldn't have to lie to my dentist every time I go. Um, but no, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. So, so you know, I want to talk more about that. But, you know, as before we do that, just want to let you know that whether you have full-time or part-time employees in one state or many states, each scenario has unique requirements. And that's why Trinet can help give you accurate, compliant payroll all on a single platform with benefits. At the end of the day, it's all about paying people on time without distractions and hassles. Head to trinet.com to learn more. There's a link in the show notes. Um, you talk about, you mentioned having people all over the place. That's always a challenge. And you have members all over the place. And I want to go back to the collection of all this data. Uh, well, first off, what, why, why, why did that come up? I mean, what made you say, Hey, we should build a toothbrush and be a dental insurance provider and fix all this other stuff. These are, that's a, a, a it's an interesting mix. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, it's actually very simple though. Our North star has never changed it's led us on building a wildly different and kind of expansive vision than what we started with uh, in terms of what the company actually does, but why we do it and what we're aiming for in terms of the vision of the business has never changed. So the North Star for the business is helping get access for the 100 million Americans that don't have dental insurance or dental coverage today, which we've always thought of as kind of a mind-blowing stat. You know, there's everybody has teeth, everybody needs to go to a dentist from time to time. And so it makes sense that everybody would need coverage. You know, everybody needs coverage to have that has a car for auto insurance, right? And it's, you know, mandated to be so. A hundred million Americans have essentially opted out of getting dental insurance, which tells me dental insurance isn't doing its job. It's not selling itself well because people aren't opting into having coverage. And would a better experience and a better product actually yield more participation in the market? And, and we think yes. And so that's the ultimate long-term vision of the business. We think of this as modernizing dental care and coverage. It's both about the care that you get should feel truly 21st century, and then the coverage that you have to enable it should also be 21st century. So even though we started as an IoT business, focused on hardware and building PCB boards and soldering stuff together and manufacturing. And, you know, that's the legacy of our business. My co-founders and I are all engineers by training. And then now we're doing uh, financial services, which is what insurance is ultimately. And we're tooling actuarial models and we're doing customer support and uh, retention and cross-sell upsell strategies. What we're doing today is wildly different than what we did when we first started the business, but we're still focused on the exact same problem that we were day one. 
Yeah, and that, so we've been uh, Matt and I during our fifty-two part series have been uh, jokingly playing a game called that we invented during a show. Things VCs have said to me. Um, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm. It, by the way, it's. It, it, I'm trying to carry that over into other episodes. You said you raised 160 million dollars. Now, you you guys essentially started as the IoT company, then moved into the other stuff, right? That's right. Okay, so. So there's some pivot in there, but you know, as uh, I've I've learned quite a bit I, it, with my age and experience, I've learned quite a bit about the venture capital world. And often, uh, they don't want you to do anything more than 1.0 things. So meaning, like, do this and get really good at it. So I'm curious, you know, in our now official round of things VCs have said have said to me. How did that go over on on the on the cap raise level? You know, like, hey, are you a product company? Or are you an IoT company? Or are you a data company? Or are you an insurance company? I'm just curious what's what some of the things VC said to you along the way. Uh, I've got a good one for this because I'm I'm living proof of exactly what you described, which is this like, you know, these kind of mind numbing conversations. This is especially trying to raise our first institutional round, and we had the brush. Like that was the company at the time. It was it was an IoT company, and I it got to the point because of the confusion folks had. No one had any knowledge about the dental industry. It's not something obviously. There's a ton of VC backed dental businesses for anyone to kind of say, oh, I actually have a lot of experience in the dental industry. Let me you know let's get let's get involved. Uh, so we had both you know kind of an ignorant set of investors because they just hadn't spent time in the industry and didn't see the opportunity that we so plainly saw. And combined with IoT was actually still in its pretty nascent stage back in 2012, Fitbit and Nest were really the only IoT products out there. Where you know Fitbit had basically invented the category of wearables, but were basically the only one. I mean, it was started. They were starting to you know, be more that were uh, being launched and, and starting to grow. And and so there was general interest in, hey, can you just do the IoT thing? Like we're starting to see some traction and momentum there. Like, isn't that the company? And we tried to explain what I just did around the North Star of the business is solving this problem for uninsured Americans. And we don't think the brush is enough. Like our experience in the industry has told us that the brush is going to be a piece of the puzzle, but it's not going to be the entire thing. And so here's the big vision for the business. It got to a point where, I mean, we heard no from 40 funds trying to raise that first round. And it got to a point where I had two decks, two pitch decks, and, and they, they started the same and then they veered off wildly differently. One I called the IoT deck. And it pitched Beam and positioned Beam as a company that was raising money to expand our Internet of Things offering around uh, dental care products. The second deck pitched a version of Beam that was expanding into dental insurance and kind of wrapping this tech-enabled service layer around the core hardware solution. And it was dealer's choice. It was like a running joke with my co-founders. When I walked into like the 41st VC, depending on my mood and what the people look like and how I, you know, whatever, like I did, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And I would just pick one of the decks and pitch it because I couldn't figure out why nobody seemed to get how obvious the insurance version of events was. 
And I'd heard no so many times about the idea of expanding beyond IoT into insurance and doing both at a high level, which is admittedly difficult um, and, and capital intensive, but we, we, I couldn't figure out why that wasn't resonating. And then just when we were about ready to, I think, give up and just like turn in on the business, we met uh, Chris Olson at Drive Capital in Columbus, Ohio. And Drive Capital was just getting going as a VC fund themselves. It was their first fund. They'd only made a couple of investments out of their first fund. And I pulled up the insurance deck because at this point, I'm just kind of like upset with the whole process. I'm like, nobody's getting it. Nobody's getting it. So I'm just going to pitch the company I know is the answer, right? The one I have conviction in. And we got to the second slide, which is where it starts to veer off. And it's like, here's Beam, you know, here's me, introduction, you know, here's what we're building. And that started to go toward this uninsured Americans problem. And, and Chris stops me, and we, we've got the whole partnership in there during this meeting. And he stops me as I'm getting into it. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Are, are you getting ready to pitch us an insurance company? Like you're going to build an insurance company from scratch? And his, his brows kind of furrowed like like this, and you know, and I'm like, uh, you know, and so I know what's coming next, right? It's like we don't we don't do insurance; it's regulated, you know, it's too capital intensive. Nobody's figured it out yet, and and There's so a bunch we're like, of eight hundred pound gorillas already in that room. Yeah. You got it, right? And so I'm just yeah. like ready for all that, and so I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually exactly, that's exactly what we want to build. And he goes, I have been waiting for somebody in the Midwest. <laughs> that is passionate about building an insurance company, like a de novo insurance company, because look out this window right now, and he points at Nationwide Insurance, which is headquartered in Columbus, as well as a lot of other insurance companies actually, is like, look at all of these gigantic successful businesses, and they're all based in the Midwest. Like all the big insurance companies are based in cities like Columbus. And, they're, they're, and there's one in every city, like, and it's the tallest building in every downtown, and it's like, and it's this trillion, multi-trillion dollar market. And I've been waiting for entrepreneurs to come in and say, I can do that better and differently. And then that became the relationship that ultimately they funded and led our series A. And, and that became the relationship that's now yielded like a whole insure tech scene uh, that's unfolding in Columbus and in Ohio and just in general in, in the market. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, that I, I have written a couple notes about, you know, it's come up some other questions because I, you know, anytime you are trying to take on something like insurance, I'm sure that is frustrating because, oh, you're going to get squashed underfoot. I mentioned 800 pound gorillas. That's, that's things that VCs have said to me. Um, this is a crowded space, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're never going to be able to compete with this. You're never going to be able to compete with that. And, you know, the funny thing is, is if you look at the biggest companies in the world right now, most of them didn't exist 15 years ago. Most of them, a lot of them didn't exist 10 years ago. But you're also talking about IoT in, in 2012. I, I often compare these things to the model of iPhone that was out. That was iPhone 5. And we, as people, like to think that we have made this. It's been forever. No, it hasn't. It really hasn't. Uh, most of the stuff is still in its infancy and has a long way to go. Did you get a lot of blowback on the on the insurance thing about just like, hey, there's no way that we're going to see a new insurance company or someone competing or breaking into that market? Was that something you got blown up a lot for in totally. the meeting room? 
totally. There was, I mean, meaningful skepticism that it was even possible to do it. Meaning like, what if the department of insurance just says no, which is, which is good skepticism. It's why tech investors. Is that a real thing? There's a department of insurance that has to like approve an insurance company. Yes. And and in every state as well. So you have to do it 50 times if you're going to scale to, you know, nationwide. And, and so, you know, tech investors have classically shied away from regulated industries until the most recent few years because that was like existential risk, right? If the regulated entity says, no, you can't do that, or you can't produce, you know, you can't do this innovation, you can't try something new and be experimental, that's the end of the business. So, you know, the uh, industries that have gotten most of the tech and software innovation attention over the past 25 years, really since the internet's taken off, have been unregulated industries, e-commerce, social media, et cetera. Yep. And so the ones we're just now starting to get into, which is part of these you know, trillion dollar markets that no one's paid attention to, is often because they haven't gotten funded because they're regulated. So now we're seeing activity in insurance and healthcare and banking and fintech um, it, because they're hard even just to enter much less be successful yeah and that stuff i mean regulatory input and control and changes are big i actually left a business that i I was a ticket broker for years and at the end of 2016 they put a bunch of different regulations and just stuff in there that was just going to make it a real pain in the ass to run the business we already had already done well with it and wanted to do something different so we're like yeah you know we'll we'll try something different and then you look at things right now like you know like cryptocurrency and things that aren't really regulated that probably will be and it's like every time there's a little blip on the radar about possible regulatory changes or something you see these markets like wildly fluctuate which by the way uh for those of you listening that are buying crypto i'm not opposed to it but when a tweet from one guy can shave tens of billions of dollars in and out of a market that's not yet stable so be careful with that but yeah so you know that the regulatory stuff it's a hassle and it can't you know it's there for a reason and it's you know, usually because a lot of people made a lot of money in that industry before it got regulated. But I've learned that the, the, the biggest profits often come before regulation. So it is what it is. Um, now, th- that's actually a, a pretty interesting topic, though. Like what kind of, of operations and sophistication and all of it do you have to have to operate in compliance on a federal and in 50 different states level? Yeah, we have uh, partners that help us make it happen. And then we have internal resources at Beam as well across actuarial, compliance, legal, accounting. Uh, we have to do a lot of auditing to, you know, kind of prove uh, that, you know, the books are legitimate, that we have the capital to pay the claims. Like that's a big piece of why insurance is regulated, right? Which is mm. if there's, you know, a massive fire, like, you know, cities like Chicago and San Francisco have had massive fires, you know, those insurance receipts for anybody that had concentration in home insurance or property insurance in those cities at the time would have gone belly up because they didn't have the capital to actually pay out the all the claims that came in on the same day. And, and so a lot of that regulatory infrastructure is built to protect people and businesses and whatever's being protected, but protect them against you know, unforeseen events, whether it's the the hailstorm that damages your roof and causes a claim, the car wreck that, of course, is always unforeseen, nobody plans that, or uh, a medical or dental procedure. 
that you weren't expecting. And so we have a lot of that infrastructure, a part of the business. But at the end of the day, when you look at uh, Beam's approach, we're not just innovating in the user experience, which is what you kind of see and interact with. We're also innovating at the regulatory level in terms of how we uh, how we've been able to take relatively few people with exceptional skills, surround them with tech and product management, uh, and then they can actually scale a 50-state audit in a way that a big legacy insurance carrier might spend 50 people's full-time effort on, and we can do it with one person's full-time effort. And that so there's like a, a bunch of sub-innovations that come into the market when you're actually trying to take the entire pot. And so Beam's ambition is to become the biggest and most successful dental insurance company. So we care about the tooling of each piece of the insurance business, not just getting really good at enrollments that we were talking about earlier, getting really good with the toothbrush. We're trying to get really good at the entire thing, soup to nuts. And that, well, that's difficult though, because, you know, I, I tell early stage companies and founders a lot get good at one thing before you try to be good at eight. And then eventually you might have to still be good at eight. So with all that regular start with one. It, oh. oh, dude, I have <laughs> learned it the hard way myself. That comes from nothing other than my own pain and anguish and lost opportunities and profits. So, so with raising 160 million bucks is a lot of that to have that, to be able to have that capital. So as the business grows, you don't have to tap the brakes or do other stuff. You're like, Hey, look, we can grow into this capital pool that we already have so i mean because i think a lot of people th think about raising capital and you know they're burning it and just doing all kinds of crazy shit and then like i don't know i mean maybe you have to keep that in your checking account yeah it's a really thoughtful question and that is actually for many insurance businesses exactly what you know cash on hand goes toward it sits in a bank account that's there as your proverbial rainy day fund uh that satisfies yeah. regulatory requirements We've again kind of innovated there and we found capital light ways to uh, uh, demonstrate our uh, kind of financial stability as a business, which we're really fortunate to be in a position to do. So for example, the most recent raise that we did, which was 80 million here in February or March, just a couple months ago, um, the vast majority of that money, 90% plus, will be invested into growth initiatives in the business, like any great venture-backed company, we're trying to grow and take share. And so it's going to be sales and marketing and acquisition, additional engineering and product resources. That's the bulk of the capital. So at this point in our evolution, we look a whole lot like a another te venture-backed tech business, more so than we do an insurance business because of how we set ourselves up. Is there a lot of churn in the dental insurance business or do people usually get a provider and stick with it? Not a beam. We have incredible retention. So we have like good SaaS company retention, like over a hundred percent net revenue retention um, lifetime in the business. It's actually one of the things we're most proud of is that people who buy beam stick with us. We have, we've been, uh, we have customers that are now in their sixth contract year and that type of, retention and how uh, many of our customers choose to stay with us year over year over year just gets us so excited that we're building something special. Uh, and we, it's just like up to us to tell more people about it. So a lot of our attitude is how do we get the word out uh, as a business because we've seen such strong retention characteristic in the business and member satisfaction as well. 
So with me today, I've got Alex Frommeyer. Alex is the CEO and founder of Beam Dental. Go to beam.dental. That's right, people. You learned everything you didn't know about the dental insurance business. And that's why I do this show, Alex, because like it's a daily or semi-week, you know, semi-date to week learning about interesting stuff. Like I had no clue about pretty much everything we talked about today. So thank you for enlightening me. And my tooth doesn't hurt. So that's good. Actually, it's already gone. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. They're going to put an implant tooth in. So, which was a pro that I've never had a dental issue in my life. I'm like the guy you want. I have like perfect teeth minus the one that I broke. Well, don't tell me that. I know you've got your, your filing an implant claim coming in here soon. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Don't worry, my dentist we'll told me, well, that I'm, yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't a pre-existing condition. I promise. Um, I'm just messing with you. All right. So once again, today's episode of startup puzzles brought to you by Trinet, go to trinet.com. They help you with HR. I think that's about all we need to say. So I end my episode startup hustle with what we call the founders freestyle. Give you a second to prepare for what the best advice you have for startup founders in general is based on what we talked about today. And I say my shows, because I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays. Join Andrew Morgans, the CEO and founder of Marknology, an Amazon brand acceleration company, talking all about Amazon and e-commerce. Stay tuned on Thursdays. Join Lauren, who, by the way, swears more on Startup Hustle TV than anybody else. And that's true, although you wouldn't guess it. Lauren's the founder of Innovate Her KC, over 4,000 female entrepreneurs and leaders in that organization. Congratulations there, Lauren. If you haven't had enough, as I just mentioned, we started a TV show. Go to Startup Hustle TV and find the other new cast members and hosts of Startup Hustle. We're probably going to have some new ones here soon. So stay tuned, people. This week, and I don't know when this episode is coming out, but we just talked all about mental health and how your business can affect your mental health. So that's an interesting one. The show's producer thinks it's our best one yet. Who knows? Who knows? That's up to you. Go leave a comment. So back to the founders freestyle. Alex, what, what, I mean, what, what, let's give some advice to those that want to follow in our footsteps. I mean, what do you got? I can tell you that I think reflecting on it now, eight plus years into my journey with my co-founders has been, uh, probably two major like macro insights uh, that have gone gone on with us. We're still together today in the business after all this time and all these, you know, as we talked about before, the, you know, non-straight line path that it's been to this point. It really is about the people that you do it with, especially the intimacy of the relationship with founders or early employees or your key partner, however your business is set up. Uh, having someone like having a co-founder, I think is just great. It's a very, very lonely thing to do even with other people. So I can't imagine what it would be like to be a solo founder. I really admire people that do it and do it well. Um, but if you think you need a co-founder, uh, go get one because and, and really invest in that relationship because it's so rewarding to achieve every milestone beam is achieved with other people that you're deeply invested in and who are deeply invested in you. The piece of advice coupled with that, though, that I think we've experienced and that we would all say, um, given the same question in separate rooms, is that all of the tough questions about strategy, about who we should hire, about if we should raise money or not, and how much, and from whom, and what we should 
care about this week, this month, this year? All those questions get so much easier once you have a North Star or a vision or a mission or a clear articulation of the problem that you're solving. It, it can be framed in a variety of different ways, but it's surprising to me how few companies have that totally nailed and dialed in where they have strong conviction about exactly what it is that they're doing here in the first place. And then they struggle with lots of other questions because of the lack of knowing that answer, which is, I don't know which way to take my product next. Well, if you have a sense of where your finish line is, it's a lot easier to navigate and chart the path to get there. I don't know if I should raise money or not. Fro, can you, can you give me some advice on raising money? Like, I don't even know if you should be raising money because you don't know if you should be raising money because you don't know what your, your North Star is. Does it actually require capital to achieve what you're trying to achieve? And the real answer is you don't yet know what you're trying to achieve. And so if anybody has that um, kind of just missing piece, that blind spot around the North Star, whether your business is 10 seconds old, 10 days old, or 10 years old, now's the right time to go invest in it because I found it to be just a wonderful clarity-inducing moment once we said we're here to modernize dental care and coverage and to do so especially for the 100 million Americans that don't have access to dental services today, it made every other decision subsequently easier, little decisions and big decisions. And I think it's just been um, so easy relative to the alternative to make, uh, to do, to go through all these hard moments in the business when things weren't going well or when there was adversity, because we always had our eyes way downfield on the big picture and the big vision. I, well said. That's a lot of good advice. You know, I, I, there's, I, I'll parlay off of that for just a second. Uh, you know, there's some great episodes in the past in, in the, in the feed of uh, startup hustle about finding co-founders and the importance of it. And I'll be the first, I'm the first person to say I, I wasn't uh, a big fan of that 15 years ago and now I wouldn't do it without it. Uh, there's something to be said about having, having a wing person and someone else to help. And I think one little tidbit I can, I can throw in there is if you can find someone that's good at all the stuff you're not good at, that that's a good place to start. And, uh, at the same time, I do want to caution you because when you have a partner at your business, it's easier to get rid of your spouse than it is to get rid of your business partner. If you choose that for that to be the case, I wrote about that in my book, million dollar bedroom, which you can find on Amazon. So uh, you know, a couple other things here, um, and I'm going to give someone, and I, based on a comment you made earlier, I love, I love the fact that you had two pitch decks, and I, and I wrote down the phrase responsive pitch deck. So someone out there listening, there's a startup idea for you. You can have it because I got a bunch of other stuff. I'm not trying to start another business, but it's like a decision tree. Yeah, I, I, th I saw it, dude. I saw it. Like someone out there, build it, please, because. I, you know, I was thinking about, we talked about smart start and onboarding and all this different stuff. And all these things are conditional. Like if this occurs, then give these, it's like those books you had when you were a kid that, you know, you're like, Hey, if you want to, if, if you want Mary to go here, turn to page 86. If you want her to go here, go to 71. But that's Choose actually a really good idea. I love it. Dude, I think it's a great idea. I mean, it really <laughs> is. Cause how many times have people, have you been halfway through a presentation? You're like, Oh God. Slide 17 is going to be the death of this conversation. Yeah. Things are not going to go away. Well get to 17. If you only had a way, if you only had 17A, B, or C. 
So it's also a fun game show as well. Um, instead of Shark Tank, there should be a new version where the entrepreneur has to pitch whatever slide comes up next, and they don't know what's coming. So they have to I'd just be great read and at that, react. By the way, I'd be great. You probably I'd be would. Great you would be that. And yeah. it, my wife would tell you it's because I'm full of shit on many days, and I would just tell you it's because I'm a creative innovator that understands how to explain and provide value for whatever is near me. Um, and true. then she'd tell me, she'd tell me I was full of it again after that. So yeah, but but you know, I think that's like I said, that's a great. It's a great way to look at your pitch, like be prepared to go a bunch of different directions. And, you know, I've showed up places before to give a pitch and not even opened the deck. Cause like you just, there's something like I'm prepared mentally. Like sometimes I know I'm like, okay, this is, I get, I, I study personality styles I have for like 20 years and, and I can just tell, I can just talk to some people. I'm like, this dude does not going to want to see a, a single slide of this deck sit down and you know, you know, these are like half of the VCs you'll probably meet too. Like, do you need another pitch deck? So I don't know, just know your audience and know your people and be prepared to take a different path. I mean, that this whole episode's demonstrated all that you start as an IOT company. And next thing you know, like, cause it, it was an overnight success, 10 years in the making. Right. Uh, but do don't it. be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to, to chase an opportunity and explore things. And, you know, one last thing you said that I thought was uh, we were playing things VCs have said to me. And I thought maybe we should play things I've thought after VCs said things to me. And then I realized that 98% of the time the answer would be they don't get it. Uh, just because people don't get your idea right away doesn't mean someone else would. And we've talked so much about numbers. You talked about going to giving a 40, 50 pitches, getting no's. And then all of a sudden someone's like, I've been waiting for this. And, and that's the way it, go it goes. Like, you know, I'd say that most people also that worth pointing to on this out show. I'm iterating as well, right? It's not just yeah. 40 no's with the exact same pitch. Right. The first right. set of questions you're asking yourself is, what did I do wrong? Did I position the thing wrong? Oh, let's move the market slide up. Let's actually articulate this differently because it's not resonating. You're making tons of tweaks too because you're an entrepreneur. You're pivoting, you're learning, you're iterating, you're getting better. Well, and this game is meant to weed people out. So how bad do you want it? You know, I know people that have given hundreds of pitches to finally get there because they didn't want to give up and they just know they're just not, they just, they're not quitters. And I know people that, I've talked to too many people that have given three pitches and they're like, yep, I gave it a shot. Guess I, guess I need to go get a job. So anyway, thanks again for joining me, Alex. This was a lot of fun. Go to beam.dental and sign up. I, you'll get a free toothbrush or at least I think you will, right? You will. That's true. More well, than enough reasons to fun. sign up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Great. Thanks a lot. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.